This program is brought to you by the partners of A Root Awakening International. Help others find truth. Support A Root Awakening International today. The word of Yehovah is perfect, but the stuff it's written on is not. Torah scrolls are written on animal skins, as you may know, so what happens if the animal has a blemish or a bump? Nehemia Gordon and Keith Johnson share some fascinating facts about Keith's scroll and the traditions that led to its curious oddities. Because it's the end of the sixth day, the sun is set, and this is Shabbat Night Live! Shabbat Shalom, Torah fans. Welcome to Shabbat Night Live with Michael Rood. Torah scrolls, as you may know, are written on animal skins, uh, at least the traditional ones. So what happens if the animal has a blemish or a bump on its skin? And, and what is the tradition to literally get around something like that when they're writing the scroll? Well, Keith Johnson and Nehemia Gordon are going to share some really interesting traditions around that tonight in the second episode of Unrolling the Scroll. And speaking of traditions, it's traditional here on Shabbat Night Live to get, let you know where we are on the astronomically and agriculturally corrected biblical Hebrew calendar, the calendar with the longest name on the face of the earth. There it is right there. The sun has set, so we are into the third Shabbat of the eighth month. Uh, the month known as Mar Heshvan, and uh, it's the third Shabbat of October, so strangely enough. And so let's talk about what's going on this week at Arud Awakening International with our product and fulfillment leader, our partner services leader, and master of all things smoked foods, David Robinson. <laughs> it's good to be here. <laughs> good to good see you. To yeah, I, just, I wanted to talk about, so first of all, uh, you are a barbecue expert, barbecue in the sense of a smoking and that kind of thing. I, you know, I was just thinking about that because when we talk about Torah scrolls and animal skins, you know, there's obviously they did not have a shortage of animal skins in Israel because of all the sacrifices going on day in and day out. And, and I just thought to myself, you know, we were talking, <laughs> my wife and I were talking about this at home that, you know, back when they were, when they had the temple and they're doing all the sacrifices, those priests, the clothes, because they, you know they always had linen on and that kind of. They must have smelled like smoked food. Smoked food. They must have been like barbecue, like <laughs> yeah, all, the, all time. the time. Like, it was like yeah, just imagine the smell in the streets. You know, yeah, like, or at least a campfire. You know, yeah. how, you know when you go out for a campfire at this time of year, uh, you go out and it's it's really hard to get that smell out. You know, you it don't is. wear those clothes the next day. It's just right. smell like campfire. So, so speaking of smoked foods, though, I understand we've talked about this before. So you have some really interesting ideas for smoked foods. I understand that one of your things is. Smoked spaghetti sauce. Yes. Tell me about that. I'm just Smoked curious. Spaghetti sauce. My my wife. I'm gonna say right now is the chef. I'm the okay. I'm the the outdoor guy, the you're, smoker, you're the and okay. I do all. So the things that she perfects, you mm -hmm. know, like spaghetti sauce and so forth, um, I will add uh, smoke to it. So I'll put oh, it wow. in my smoker and and. Um, uh, a couple of woods that a lot of people don't really use that much is I use a cranberry wood. Okay. And uh, for smoking spaghetti sauce, you don't want a really harsh tasting wood like white oak or mesquite, something like that. So use pecan or peach. Really? Yeah. Okay. I had no idea. See, I don't do that kind of thing, so I don't recognize that the different woods make oh, that. Oh, it does make a huge difference. What kind of, yeah. do they I add mean, a like sweetness for, to it? For or me, they... well, it's just the... 
it, it's just the level of smoke flavor, okay. I guess you could say, uh, where mesquite is is more for, you know, like burger, steak, oh, yeah. and stuff like that. You know, and you learn the hard way. I've tried to do smoked <laughs> broccoli with mesquite, and it was like, whoa, because certain foods absorb that a uh-huh. lot better than others. Okay. So, uh, yeah, you learn by trial and error. And, uh, I wonder how much of this the priests did in the back in the day. <laughs> I, I, they, what could we smoke today? They <laughs> definitely smelt like smoke. Yeah, unreal. All right. Well, just, I mean, just something interesting. It has nothing to do with what you do here at Rude Awakening, nope. but I just, well, that's I, something you do as a pastime, right? I do right? make food and bring it here for certain people. Oh, yeah. No. Okay. <laughs> Very good. So how do you smoke a spaghetti sauce? I meant to ask you that in the first place. Oh, I just place. have like, it in a pan. In a yeah, pan? Yeah, my okay. smoker's large enough that once it's she's perfected it, and then I take it out, and then I just lightly smoke it. So the, uh, they have the lots pan. of surface area for it yep, to, for the smoke the, to get the, at? The bigger the surface oh, okay. area when you smoke something Very like interesting. that. Yeah. All right. Speaking of big time, so we've, uh, big, so we've, we've got a big, uh, big time game that we like to uh, uh, talk about here at Root Awakening. It's called Bible, Bible Stumpers. Stumpers. It's yeah. a big popular game. I think we've run out a couple of times of this stuff. Yeah. It's so popular. We now have four volumes of this game. It's, uh, it's basically like a trivial pursuit. It's just four sets of um, cards, mm-hmm. just like playing card type of things, yep. with Bible questions on them. Uh, developed by our uh, our esteemed Dean. our esteemed uh, <laughs> professor here at Root Awakening, uh, Dr. Dean, and Dr. Dean has come up with these questions, so you know they're good ones. But he made them tame enough where that you know ten year old kids can answer yeah, them; they, and, they get it. So and there's fifty per set, so you have yeah. fifty questions per set, mm-hmm. um, and there's going to be six sets. There's going to be six sets set by the time we get to uh, well something that's happening at the end of November. Let's just say that. We'll just keep it at that. But right now, we have uh, four sets available right now. So there's 200 questions available right now. Perfect gift for Hanukkah, especially if you're going somewhere, because this is a great thing to bring in the car. Right, yeah, exactly. In the car, in the hotel room. Yeah. You know, just, um, it's it's a lot of fun. Yep. And um, and, And you can keep score. Yep. You know, you have to do it on paper, but mm-hmm. if you're from a competitive family like I am, you, you got to keep score. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> now, we like to keep score with, with folks who, who, uh, who's, who contribute to this ministry. Mm-hmm. We like to say, you know what, you count. Thank you so much for doing it because it's folks like you that enable us to keep doing this on Shabbat right, Night Live. Right. I'm not talking about smoke foods, but for bringing <laughs> on Nehemiah Gordon and Keith Johnson, that's the important part. Right. And in order to do that, we like to say thank you with a gift, uh, what we call the love gift. And uh, this month, for a gift of $50 or more, we're gonna give you a teaching from uh, Nehemiah and Keith. It's called The Scroll Untold. It's basically the bonus best parts uh, that you haven't heard in this series they're doing right now uh, with the uh, unrolling the scroll here mm-hmm. on Shabbat Night Live. So you'll be getting that as our gift to you to say thank you uh, for donating $50 or more to this ministry. And secondly, speaking of Hanukkah, uh, if you donate a $50 or $100 or more, you'll get the teaching and this blanket over here. That's right. And if you'd like to have this blanket, great, keep it in your house. But if you'd like to give it for a Hanukkah gift to somebody, this would be even better. It's all about Yehovah's appointed times. And we have a, a verse down there from Leviticus 23 that says, uh, these are the feasts of Yehovah, holy convocations which you shall proclaim at their appointed times. And around the edges, we have all the depictions of the different uh, all the different appointed times. So you've got Passover over here on my side, and over there Purim. you've got uh, Purim, and we've got Shavuot, uh, even some of the not so like Hanukkah, Hanukkah, the ones that aren't commanded. And at the bottom here, we have some scenes of different uh, four seasons of the year, mm-hmm. and that represents Shabbat all year round. Yep. So that's how you can explain this to someone or you can have it in your home and start up conversation. Uh, great thing to have. Now, David, how big is this thing? It's pretty 50 large. 50 by 60. 50 by mm-hmm. 60. So it's almost, uh, so it's five feet long and mm-hmm. uh, just over four feet wide. So that is a great thing to have in the house. 
and you can give that away uh, if you like for a Hanukkah or keep it for yourself. That's right. And for a gift of three hundred, very comfortable too. It's very soft. Yeah, it's like what do they call it? Microfiber. Microfiber. Yeah, that's really that's really nice. Mm -hmm. um, and for a gift of three hundred dollars or more, you'll get all of that, that and the teaching and this. Kiddish set. You get the little kiddish set, silver-plated kiddish set. Yep. Now, if it were me, I think this is something I'd want to keep myself. This is one you want. Yeah, it's really, and, it, and feel how heavy that is. It is, yeah. These are really, really hefty little made things. well. There's, this is sterling silver, four uh, little mini goblets that you can, you know, have your kiddish with. Uh, mm -hmm. You can have the kiddish with here with Shabbat Night Live with Michael, as we always do, uh, right after this segment and right before uh, the teaching. So you can have it for that or just have it for your family as you bring in the Shabbat. Right. And it comes with a little, uh, two little trays, right? Two yep. little trays like this. And I think we've determined that these are for the bread. Yes. Well, one's for, on. I like your idea a couple of weeks ago. Uh, this one's for bread, that one's for butter. Yeah, this one's for <laughs> butter. <laughs> yeah, so but can. it comes with this really nice travel case too, so. You know, yeah. when you're doing Shabbat on the road or, you know. Or going somewhere for Hanukkah somewhere or something. Or yeah. whatever, yeah. You got this that you can do. Uh, and that's for, and again, this is a gift. It's not for sale. It's only available during October. So you've got, what, just a few days left to do it. Mm -hmm. So uh, we just want to say thank you for supporting Shabbat Night Live. Uh, and I hope you're enjoying this series as much as I am. I love the neat things that Nehemiah is showing on this scroll. And he is the first person in the world uh, to be examining a scroll with um with the different types of light that he's using, yeah. the, uh, the infrared and the um, ultraviolet. Ultraviolet, yeah. Yep, and with a magnification. So this is really groundbreaking stuff. So, yeah. anyway, see the history of the scroll. Yeah, indeed, the things yes. that have happened to it and so forth. Yeah, yeah. really, neat. and the different types of inks and all kinds of things. Yeah, it's really interesting. All right, well, thank you, David. Mm -hmm. All right, so the word of Yehovah is perfect, but the stuff it's written on is not. So how do you get around the imperfections of an animal skin document? Keith Johnson and Hemia Gordon explain next. When Keith Johnson purchased a centuries-old scroll, he got more than he bargained for. And now, after sharing the scroll's surprising oddities on Shabbat Night Live, Keith Johnson and Nehemia Gordon are revealing the best surprises of all in this month's Love Gift teaching. He said, Keith, I don't know if anyone's ever been able to show this sort of thing this way. Didn't you not say that? I don't know that anybody ever has taken something like this microscope and showed it to an to a audience that wasn't a bunch of academics at a conference. In this month's Love Gift teaching, The Scroll Untold, Nehemia Gordon and Keith Johnson share the best-kept secrets of one very unique scroll. From mystery markings to rabbinic rule-bending, you'll love every minute of this eye-opening story. Right now, for a limited time, you can get your copy of The Scroll Untold by donation. Donate a $50 love gift and we'll send you The Scroll Untold on DVD or Blu-ray. Or for a donation of $100, we'll send you The Scroll Untold, plus an incredibly soft microfiber blanket depicting Yehovah's appointed times, available only from a Rude Awakening International. Or as a special offer, for a donation of $300, we'll send you The Scroll Untold, the blanket featuring Yehovah's appointed times, plus a silver-plated kiddush set with four wine cups decorated with scenes from ancient Jerusalem. These are special gifts from Michael Rood to thank you for your support. Make your donation today and receive the $50 gift, the $100 gift, or the $300 gift. Don't wait. The Scroll Untold is available only until October 31st and supplies are limited. Call now to receive your gifts. 888-766-3610. That's 888-766-3610 or get your gifts online at monthlylovegift.com. 
If you like what you see on Shabbat Night Live, you'll love the bonus episodes. Now available only on the MichaelRood.tv app. These bonus episodes dive deep to give you more serious study, cutting-edge content, and righteous raves you won't find anywhere else. It's Michael Rood Uncut. Sign up now to get the MichaelRood.tv app free for 14 days. It's everything Michael Rood plus all new bonus episodes you won't find anywhere else. Sign up to watch now at MichaelRood.tv. The traditions that we have in modern-day Judaism remind us of what we did in the temple, and some of these traditions go back long before the temple in Jerusalem. It reminds us of when Melchizedek, the king of righteousness, brought forth bread and wine to Abraham when he came back from the slaughter of kings, and Melchizedek, the Melchizedek, the king of righteousness, blessed the Most High with the blessing that Abraham then taught to his son Isaac and then was passed down through the generations. Yeshua said, Abraham saw my day and he rejoiced. He gave a tenth of everything because he saw the broken body and the shed blood. Melchizedek, as Abraham and all of his offspring, then continue to say this prayer, this prayer of sanctification. Barukata Yehovah, Eloheinu Malaka Alam, Homotzi Lechem Miharetz. Blessed are you, Yehovah, our God, King of the universe, who brings forth bread from the earth. And Yeshua said, this bread represents my body, which will be broken for you. And this is what Yeshua said the last night that he was with his disciples. This represents his broken body. It was broken for us. And then, the blessing of the wine. Barukatai Yehovah Elohino Melakalam Borei Peri Hagafen. Blessed are you, Yehovah, our God, King of the universe, creator of the fruit of the vine. And Yeshua said, this is a renewed covenant which will be paid for in my blood. As often as you do this, do this in remembrance of me. Bible tells us that the word itself is a living document. It is sharper than any two-edged sword. In fact, a living document was actually a Torah scroll at Nehemiah Gordon's wedding. It was the witness at his wedding. So what else can this Torah scroll tell us just by being revealed? Nehemiah Gordon, Keith Johnson, welcome back, welcome back to Shabbat Night Live. Thanks, we're so excited to be here. Oh, Thank you we so were talking much. last week, we teased it up, we said we were going to take the cover off the scroll and literally look at this thing. This mm. is the scroll that was at your wedding mm -hmm. that brought you two and Michael Rood together. The whole story we shared last week, but we are nowhere near the end of the story. So gentlemen, why don't we take the cover off this and, so we're, uh, I'll and tell you what, Scott, one of the story. Things one of the things that's so interesting about this scroll is, like, again, it has a, its own story. Mm -hmm. it, it's been more places than I've ever been, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, one of the things that we did when Hemia came is when we unrolled it, um, you had a chance to actually do some, some research with it, which he's going to talk about in, in just a second. But there was something that happened when I went to Israel after I was removed from TV because of the scroll and the two, the two witnesses. And that was as if we were together, he had access to people, uh, the top, some of the top scholars in the world. And he said to me, Keith, listen, I want to take you to two scholars— the top scholar in Aramaic, the top scholar regarding the Masoretic text. And he literally took me up the mountain 
and sat down with these two scholars. Hmm. On the way up the mountain, he said, so Keith, you're talking about the name, what about the other T's? What does he mean? The Torah, the Tetragrammaton, and time. These are the three things I've been focusing on. Okay. That's why I went to Israel, God's time, God's Torah, God's Tetragrammaton, his name. And what's been so powerful and why this is important to me, even with Michael, is that Michael was in that process with us. Mm. The first thing that we were addressing when we came here was the name. And he talks about it a lot, but I mean, we literally watched a transformation of his approach with the name based on the information that we had. And it's kind of related to this whole issue, but let's mm. get into the oh, taking, the, taking the, the top off the, the, the scroll. Yeah, so let's, uh, uh, you know, it. we'll do it like they do in the synagogue. You, okay. you hold it up against you, okay. and I will pull it off mm-hmm. here. Okay. And here we have, we can see, Kimitzion, Tetzay Torah, Udval, Hashem, Yehovah, Yerushalayim. For out of Zion shall go forth the Torah and the word of Yehovah from Jerusalem. Mm-hmm. We take it off here. Mm-hmm. And we'll hand that off to one of these gentlemen here. And we are going to now look at the scroll. And uh, as I We're mentioned... starting at the beginning. As I mentioned last week, uh, I've traveled all over the world and examined scrolls uh, at the Vatican and in London and in Russia, all over the place, Washington, D.C., and uh, came back here to Charlotte, and I said, Keith, and and I'll I'll be honest with you, one of the things that that really inspired me was we were doing uh, Hebrew Matthew, uh, Hebrew Gospel Pearls, and we got to Hebrew Matthew chapter 5, verse 12, Mm -hmm. and there it has this phrase, Sisuva Simchu, be happy and rejoice. And I thought back to my wedding a year ago where this Torah scroll, this exact Torah scroll was brought out and it was the witness to my wedding. And I also, at the back of my mind, had this song. There was this wedding (laughs) song. It's a wedding song based on a verse in Isaiah. And we actually shared about it in the uh, Hebrew Gospel Pearls. It is uh, Isaiah uh, 62, verse 5, I want to say. And it says, um, it says as follows, uh, for as a young man marries a young woman, so shall your, your builder marry you, meaning God. And as a, the bridegroom rejoices over the bride, so shall your God rejoice over you. And the last phrase there is, Yasis alayich elohaich. That's the same word as in Hebrew Matthew, where he says, rejoice and be happy. Mm. Yasis. And I just had in my, my head the song, Yasis, Yasis alayich, Yasis, Yasis alayich, Elohayich, Yasis. And, and I had that, that resonating in my heart, that song. And I said, the Torah scroll was the witness, and we have the rejoicing over the Torah in, in Jewish tradition. Let's open up Keith's Torah scroll and see what we can find. And I said to Keith, maybe we'll find nothing. Mm-hmm. I've looked at, um, if you include photographs, I've looked at over uh, fragments and whole scrolls, over a thousand scrolls. Uh, actually, in person, looked at something like a hundred scrolls. And actually, no, it's definitely more because in one place I looked at uh, 99 Torah scrolls and two Haftarot scrolls. So it must be 200 scrolls. I don't even know the number. I've <laughs> lost count. Um, at one place in London, the Memorial Scrolls Trust, I looked at 101 scrolls, 99 of which were Torah scrolls, and two of them were mm-hmm. what are called uh, prophet scrolls or Haftarot scrolls. And so I've looked at, I don't, I don't even know how many scrolls, and I thought, let's do it. And look, at sometimes you look at the scroll and there's nothing all that interesting. It's just like every other scroll, right? Mm-hmm. Other times you look at the scroll and you're like, wow, I've never seen anything like that. So, so let's open it up. As we're preparing to open up the scroll, I'm saying to myself, if there's one thing in there, that's enough. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> so let's. We're at the beginning. We're starting at the beginning of the scroll. Yeah. And and there's a, there's this tradition. And can we um, get over to the overhead here? 
Um, this is some new technology, guys, that we're experimenting with. <laughs> so we're actually, can you hold that there? So here we have uh, the first section of the Torah, the first column. Torah scrolls are broken up into sheets, and then the sheets, they don't have pages, they're sheets. And a sheet is a piece of parchment. Mm. Uh, and then the sheets are broken up into columns. And there is this tradition in writing Torah scrolls to write what is called Vave Ha'amudim, which is the vavs of the columns. Mm. But it's a play on words. It's a word pun because it also means the hooks of the pillars, referring to this um, feature in the tabernacle. And you can see here this Torah scroll, by and large, not entirely, but it by and large goes according to Vaveha Mudim, Vav, 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 meaning there's a Vav at the beginning of each column. Wow. And in fact, in this Torah scroll, uh, it's not only a Vav at the beginning of the column, it's a Vav at the beginning of a verse. So those are two different traditions that have been combined, that each column begins with the beginning of a verse and each column begins with a vav. But you've got a problem. You can't have every Torah scroll begin with, you can't have every column begin with a vav because the first column of the Torah is, Keith, can you read for us? Bereshit bara Elohim et Okay, so the first word is bereshit, begins with a bat. <laughs> so it can't be a vav. So there's a separate tradition unrelated to vav ha-mudim, possibly older than vav ha-mudim, mm -hmm. Uh, meaning every column beginning with Vav. The other tradition is to begin six specific columns with six letters that, are, that spell out Bet Yud Hey Shin Mem Vav, which is the phrase Be Yashamo mm. in Yah His name. Mm. Huh. Now, every Torah <laughs> scroll in the world begins with a Bet because very <laughs> Not every Torah scroll begins, uh, not begins, but they begin a column. Not everyone does Be Yashamo. Most do it. They certainly do it for. Um, uh, two specific passages other than Bereshit that maybe we'll, we'll have a chance to look at. But here, the first thing we notice is Vaveha Mudim, the Vav's at the beginning of the columns. Right, You have all these kinds of rules and regulations. And as I was looking at this scroll, I'm at Keith's house, I'm sitting in his living room. Let's roll it. Let's get this in the center mm -hmm. here, Keith. As I'm uh, uh, rolling it, I all of a sudden see this hole and let's just see if we can. It's zoom. a literal hole in, in the. This is a holy scroll, <laughs> and it's and it's literally a hole. If we can zoom in there, that would be lovely. I want to show the people the hole, because uh, look, one of the things I love that I do in my research is I'm looking for things related to God's name, and so I call this a twofer. Oh, can we uh, zoom in a little bit more? Do you think? There we are. Excellent. This is some experimental technology we're working yep. with here, guys. And, and our jib um, operator is extremely talented. Impressive. He's that holding this impressive. in place with his <laughs> wow. manually. Yeah, so. so here we have <laughs> the verse, and it says, Vayomer lo Yehovah, and Yehovah said to him, Lachen kol horeg kain, all those, anyone who kills kain, shivatayim yukam, he will be avenged sevenfold. Vayasem Yehovah le kain, and Yehovah placed for kain, ot levilti hakoto, uh, oh, what does that say? I can't even read it there. Oh, there we go. So that anybody who finds Cain, uh, sorry, placed, Yehovah placed uh, a sign for Cain, the words are in a different order, to not kill him, anyone who finds him. Mm -hmm. Okay, and then here's an interesting thing. After the end of the verse, there's this little space. And there's actually more than a space, as we'll see in a minute. But what caught my attention first off was this hole. And uh, why is there a hole? Why is this a holy scroll, pun intended and not? What's the hole? So this is an animal skin. And the animal had a hole. What kind of hole? Maybe he had some kind of, a, um, some kind of blemish in his skin. 
Maybe, in other words, when he was alive, it might not have been a hole. It might have been a mole or something like that. Mm. And when you, when you slaughter the animal and you cut out the, the different sheets, then you uh, stretch them out, just like preparing leather, except leather, you dye it with tannins. And here you, you do something a little bit different. You stretch it out and you salt it and you actually dye it with something called gallnuts. Gallnuts are a really interesting thing. They're, um, they're uh, actually, gallnuts are this thing where um, you have a certain type of tree that grows in Israel and in Syria, and it gets infected by a wasp. Ah. And then the tree puts out this protective layer to envelop that wasp infestation uh, or the egg of the wasp, and it surrounds it, and that is called a gallnut. And it's very high in certain chemicals, and they use that, first of all, to create the ink, not all inks, but some inks, and they also use it to create, um, to, to tan some of the hides, tan some of the skins. So in any event, here you have a hole. So this is probably a mole, and when they stretch it out, and then they start scraping it to make it flat and smooth. And when they scrape it, the mole comes off, and you've got a hole. And then the scribe says, well, what do I do here? I'm, I wrote Vayasam, and now I got to the word Yehovah, and I can't fit it in based on its regular size before the hole. So he squeezes it in. And if you notice, this Yehovah is smaller than this Yehovah it and is. every other instance of Yehovah because he squeezed it in before the hole. He even kind of squeezes it a little bit above and to the right because he, he wants to like, you know, he's making it smaller and sort of like squished up into this corner in a sense. And uh, there's a, a several layers of why he does this. And that's what's really cool. So uh, uh, what we have going on is that... Um, the, there's a commandment in the Torah. And the commandment has nothing to do with writing God's name around holes or anything like that, but that's how it was understood. And let's look at the verse. It's Leviticus chapter 24, verse 16. And if we talk about nothing else, Scott, but Leviticus 24, 13, <laughs> then, then I'll be very we blessed. We can always do more. Or sorry, always do verses more. 15 and 16. So this is the man who's the son of the Egyptian woman, and he curses God we're told, and let's actually go a little bit higher up. Um, it says uh, 2411, and it says, and he uh, uttered or cursed, depending on how you translate it, the, and the son of the Israelite woman uh, cursed or uttered the name and he cursed, right? He did two things. He spoke the name explicitly and he cursed, okay? And then, in other words, uh, there's two ways that you can curse when, you, when you're talking about God. You can just, uh, and this is actually a conversation I have with a lot of Christians. They say, you know, Nehemiah, you're always taking the name of the Lord in vain. And I say, well, and they mean G-O-D. Mm. And I'm like, well, no, I'm not. Uh, taking the name in vain in, in the Ten Commandments, in Exodus and Deuteronomy, what that means is to speak falsely in that name to make a false oath. Mm -hmm. That's the ancient Jewish uh, interpretation and even the modern Jewish translation of, for example, the JPS, and it's the correct interpretation of that passage. To speak a name in vain means to speak it falsely. Right? It doesn't mean I, I stubbed my toe and I, and I said, you know, OMG. Right? Mm -hmm. That's not what it means to take the name of, of God in vain. What there is a very strong prohibition against in the Torah is to curse God's name. Mm -hmm. So... We saw the man, he, if I translate literally, it says Vayikov, and he explicitly uttered the name of Yehovah, and he cursed. So he did two things. You can curse without mentioning Yehovah's name. You can mention Yehovah's name without cursing. But if you do those together, mm -hmm. cursing Yehovah's name, mm -hmm. that is punishable by death in the Torah. Mm -hmm. So here we're told that in Leviticus 24, 15, and to the children of Israel speak, saying, any man who curses his God 
shall bear his sin, mm -hmm. right? You don't get executed for cursing your God. What does that mean? If I say, and I'm not saying this, this is an example. If I say, cursed be, and then I say a generic title like Elohim, God, Lord, Adonai, according to the Torah, I bear my sin, I will face God on the day of judgment. However, if I say cursed be, while explicitly uttering the name, mm -hmm. I get stoned to death according to the Torah. Mm -hmm. It mm. says in verse 16, v'nokev shem Yehovah motumat. And he who explicitly utters the name of Yehovah shall surely be put to death. The entire congregation shall stone him. The sojourner and the native born, when they explicitly utter the name, he will be put to death. Now, in the context, explicitly uttering the name is in the context of a curse. It doesn't mean that I'm making an oath like Ruth said to Naomi, like my wife said to me. Uh, mm. She's, my wife said to me and Ruth said to Naomi, you are my God, uh, not you are my God, excuse me. Your people are my people and your God is my God. Um, and then Ruth sealed that with a, with a vow. And the vow was, show so Yehovah do to me and even more. Well, you've just explicitly spoken the name. Do you get put to death for that? Of course not. God commanded the uh, sons of Aaron. He said, when you bless, uh, and we'll hopefully even get to that passage, when you bless uh, the people of Israel, you speak the name three times. How do they say it? Three times. You speak the name, may Yehovah lift his face towards you, may gracious towards you, may Yehovah shine his face towards you. Uh, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm messing it up here. <laughs> may Yehovah bless you and keep you. May Yehovah, yeah, uh, so three times, the three-line blessing, and each time you say the name, I'm looking at the clock, I'm getting nervous here. And each time you say the name, or each line is the name, and at the end it says, and they shall place my name upon the children of Israel, and I will bless them. So there's no question that in the Torah itself, people spoke the name. In some cases, they were commanded to, and in many cases, they were allowed to. Mm. So the only way we can interpret this, and it's the correct interpretation, is, is in the context, which is 24, Leviticus 24, 16, he who explicitly utters the name of Yehovah as part of a curse, which is what the context, he shall be put to death. Okay. There have been different people who interpreted it this, this different ways. And one of the ways this was interpreted, and we'll talk about other ones, I think, after the break, but one of the ways this was interpreted is that uh, the word nokev means to explicitly utter. It also means to make a hole, to pierce. Huh. And there are rabbis who came along and they said, we can't write God's name over a hole because that would be piercing the name. Mm. Now, talk about taking it out of context, because here it's talking about explicitly uttering God's name when you curse. But these rabbis said if we interpret this uh, Leviticus 24, 16 hyper-literally, it means you shall not put a hole in God's name. And let me show you here. Uh, um, oh, hold on a second. Um, nope, that's the wrong place here. Um, uh, here, so here is essentially what we saw on the jib, I'm showing you here, uh, from this is a photo I took two days ago of the same thing. And he squeezed in Yehovah's name because if he didn't squeeze in Yehovah's name, part of that name would have been written over the whole. And they interpreted that verse, Leviticus 24, 16, in very practical terms to say, you can't put a hole in God's name, which is one way you can't pierce 
God's name. Yes. And therefore writing it over a hole. Now, what's interesting, in the very same scroll, this is Keith's scroll. And I think this is even like on the same page or it's definitely uh, nearby. Here we have the name Hevel, Abel. And uh, after it is Hevi, he brought. And the part of the lament of Hevel and, and the hay of Hevi uh, are written over a hole that's been patched. And so they had no problem writing other words over the hole. But when it came to God's name, they avoided that because of this idea of piercing God's name. Huh. And, and how do I know this is a patch? Well, on Keith's scroll, I looked at the back and you can see the back of, this, of the patch. So um, throughout the scroll, we have things like that. Whenever there was a hole in the animal, sometimes the hole was caused by uh, preparing the parchment. Sometimes it was, it was inherent to the animal. And sometimes it was when they scraped the parchment, they would use a sharp implement to scrape it and to prepare it to make it smooth, and that would make holes. And so if it's something that's not God's name, you can write it over the, over the hole. If it's God's name itself, they wanted to avoid that because of their interpretation of Leviticus 24, 16. Wow, interesting stuff. <laughs> Gosh. It's such so much more. <laughs> you, know, you have to respect that kind of care and attention and reverence for, yeah. for Yehovah's name. Absolutely. Yes. It came from a good place. It came from a place of honor that God's name is so holy that we want to protect it in all these different ways. Mm. And one of the ways to protect it is, for example, there was one rule that said, according to some rabbis, it was debated. They said, if you erase a bunch of letters, you can't write God's name over that erasure because now the parchment's dirty. Mm. And other rabbis said, no, you should write it over the, the erasure and you, should, and you should write other words above the line. Right? Let's say you forgot God's name. There's all kinds of discussions about this. And all of this really, you're right, was out of a reverence for God's name, a deep, profound reverence, which led to these um, all kinds of rules and regulations to safeguard it. Mm. Well, no pun intended, but we have not begun to scratch the surface of this scroll. <laughs> yeah, so, that's terrible. I so, barely put a hole in the matter. Oh, I, was, my. I didn't get to give oh, my no. devotion Let that we, happened and why we got to. Wait, wait, we're going to get it in part two. We're, 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 we're coming get, back after oh, the break. Oh, we're going to come back. Yeah, don't worry oh, about it. Geez, we got, I got nervous. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, if you're having as much fun with this as we are, uh, come back and see us in a couple of minutes. We're going to give you a couple of minutes to uh, say thank you, and would you consider donating to this program, because that's how this works. That's the only way you're seeing this, the only way you're seeing this amazing scroll, and uh, these gentlemen have told me things about the scroll off camera that uh, I can't wait to get into, so there's a lot more to come yet, so come back in a couple of minutes. Thank you in advance for supporting this ministry. It brings Keith and Nehemia here and allows you and others to see this, so thank you in advance. Thank you for your support of Shabbat Night Live. It's because of you we get to share really neat things about this scroll. This scroll in particular, we were talking about Leviticus, and there's, there's more to tell about this scroll and Leviticus. So the, the morning after Nehemiah comes to my house, he shares about uh, this hole. And when I saw the hole, it stopped for me. Everyone else is wanting to look more and more and more, and I'm, I wanted to do my dance. It was as if I was back in Israel. <laughs> if you didn't see last, night, last week's Shabbat Night Live, it's where Nehemiah and I and Michael first unrolled the scroll. I said to Nehemiah, we gotta call this unrolling the scroll again. Because when he unrolls it this time, I don't know that that's there. I've never mm -hmm. seen it. I wouldn't know what it was. Right. I didn't know about this whole issue of Leviticus 24. So think of this, uh, uh, Scott. The first time Nehemiah and I opened the scroll, it's Leviticus 23. God's time. The second time we open the scroll, it's Leviticus 24, God's name. And this is something that we have been uh, dealing with for mm -hmm. now over, well, I say, well, it's well over a decade. It's been since 2002. He was the first person that when I sat down with him, I asked him a question. I'm with Michael at his house. We're sitting at the next day. It's the day after he's seen the scroll. And he's a little wondering, like, who is this guy, right? Mm -hmm. So now we're sitting across from the place where God placed his name forever, the Temple Mount. 
I asked Nehemiah a question. I said, can you tell me anything about the name of God? He said, do you have a piece of paper and pencil? I said, yes, piece of paper. He writes, yud, hey, vav, hey. And he goes on and he talks and he says, according to the oldest, most complete Hebrew manuscripts in the world, which by the way, I brought to that television station, which are the basis for their Bibles. And they said, we can't have those manuscripts there. It would be pronounced Yehovah. Now, because I have a witness here, here's what happened. Mm -hmm. As soon as Nehemiah says Yehovah, there's a man standing in front of us mm -hmm. with a huge shofar. Was it not huge? Mm -hmm. And the guy, Nehemiah says the name, and the guy blows the shofar twice. Hmm. I happen to have it recorded. Ask me where the tape is. I have no idea. <laughs> but it happened, did it not? And that started a process, uh, Scott, of just being what I call, Jeremiah says, it, it was like fire caught up. If I do not speak in your name, it's like it's burning in my soul. Mm -hmm. So we wrote a book together, A Prayer to Our Father, Hebrew Origins of the Lord's Prayer. Great book, went around the world talking about it, came here, talked about it. But there's a phrase where Yeshua says, Yit ka, your name be sanctified. So I go to Nehemiah, I said, no, okay, Nehemiah, second book's gonna be on this phrase. And this is the, one of our big arguments. I said, Nehemiah, we gotta write about this. And he says, Keith, if we write about that specifically, we're not invited anywhere. <laughs> it was a huge, I mean, we went back and forth. And I said, Nehemiah, I just feel strongly we gotta do this. Here's what the hidden secret is I can tell on, on Shabbat Night Live. My ultimate goal for writing this book <laughs> was to make him jealous. Mm. Why? I wanted Nehemiah to write about the name of God, and he wouldn't write it with me. So I said, if I write it, eventually he'll come up with another book. Guess what, Scott? It happened just the way I planned. I had to write my book when I was ready to write my yeah, book. Yeah, he had to write his book. Oh, Hold so, up before you. Yeah. Let me just say this. So, so Leviticus 24, one of the things that I do in this book is there's mm -hmm. not so much about pronunciation. It's giving people the background. So I'm praying the other day. Mm -hmm. He tells me about this word. I look in my book, and sure enough, there's a whole thing about blaspheming the name. Mm. A really important issue that's been mistranslated historically. Oh, it's a complete mistranslation. Mistranslated it's completely. It's not blaspheming at all. It's nothing to do with it. Yeah. So here I'm, so my point is when this scroll opens up, Scott, and I see this, I don't know. I didn't connect the two. It takes me a little while. Getting older, I lost my glasses, et cetera. I go to this page. Let me just read one little small thing, and then I'm gonna turn it over because we're gonna ask a question. Mm -hmm. The age of this scroll and where it came from. Mm, okay. I call this, the second fire-fueling passage may not be as well known as the third commandment, but the interpretation and application have reached beyond the walls of synagogues and churches. This passage must be examined according to what I consider the most under, underused concept in the study of scripture, context. It was this word mm -hmm. where I had to also call Nehemiah because the JPS does something really interesting. The Jewish Publication Society, they translate the verse, and there's one little word I think it is, it's the word also that the JPS puts in there. So I'm not, I'm not gonna go into that mm -hmm. right now because what I really wanna get to is this. <clears throat> I really feel like this is the second act on this scroll. The first act, me, Michael, and Nehemiah. The second act, we're back to it again, and I will tell you I've sent a message to Michael. I sent him a message. Okay. A couple weeks ago, I said, Michael, when you get back, it's time for us to do a conference again on the name of God. And he said, me, if Yah's willing. Mm -hmm. And I believe, Nehemiah, mm -hmm. in terms of the information that's come since this happened, it's taken things to a completely different level. Mm -hmm. The amount of places where it's been found, the work that Nehemiah and his group has done, it literally has changed everything. So what I stepped out in by faith 
has now been confirmed in a really, really powerful way. After this was done, I asked Nehemia, well, what do you think on the age? And this changes the game now, again. Now, before you get to the age, I don't want to leave Leviticus 24.16. Okay, excellent. Okay. excellent. So Leviticus 24.16 in um, the, uh, let's say the NRSV, for example, has one who blasphemes the name of the Lord to be put to death. It doesn't say blasphemes at all. What it says is one who explicitly mm-hmm. utters the name mm-hmm. of Yehovah, and the context there is a curse. Mm-hmm. Now, I've had people say to me, well, Nehemiah, of course you speak the name because you're not a rabbinical Jew, you're a Karite, and the Karites think it's Yehovah. Actually, um, no, they don't. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the position of, um, and, I've, and I, I mentioned this in my book, Shattering Conspiracy of Silence. Mm-hmm. That's my book on uh, that I've written about the name and other things. I'm in. And I explain there that the position of many Karites is, well, we just don't have a tradition to speak the name, so mm-hmm. we don't do it. Mm-hmm. And the position of other Karites is, well, um, it's not a matter if we don't have a tradition, it's actually forbidden. Mm-hmm. And there was a ninth century Karite named Daniel Akumasi, and he argued that it was based on this verse, Leviticus 24, 16. He said, if you speak God's name, you're, you're to be put to death. So it's forbidden to speak it. Mm-hmm. But then he says mm-hmm. something profound. He says, don't rely on what I say. Go study the scriptures for yourself Amen. and decide based on your own discernment rather than blindly following what I say. Mm-hmm. And I did what he suggested. And I did not accept that uh, conclusion that he had. I said in the context, clearly, it means uh, to speak God's name when you're cursing. Mm-hmm. And that's what the JPS does. Uh, translates, if he also pronounces the name, also there, mm-hmm. is while you're cursing God's name. Mm-hmm. And where do they get the word also? They didn't just make it up. They take that from the Vav. Amen. You have the, mm-hmm. the letter Vav in Hebrew has so many different meanings. Mm-hmm. It literally means also, but it also can mean, also can mean also. <laughs> the Vav can also mean also. Mm-hmm. It can mean but. It can mean or, it can mean all kinds of other things. And in the context, they say this has to be referring to in the context of a curse. Therefore, it has a sense of something like also. Mm. Also, meaning in addition to cursing God, you then speak the name, then you're to be put to death. That, that is the meaning in its context of Leviticus 24, 16. Now, Keith asked me the question, where is this Torah scroll from? Mm-hmm. And uh, I've been traveling around the world studying Torah scrolls and I've learned a whole lot about Torah scrolls, but dating a Torah scroll and identifying where it came from can be very, very challenging. And uh, especially if it's a relatively late Torah scroll. And what do I mean by relatively late? Although even early ones. Um, uh, there's this project that was established in Israel decades ago called the Hebrew Paleography Project. Mm-hmm. And they traveled around the world and they studied uh, Bible, or not just Bible, they studied Hebrew manuscripts of all kinds, not just Bible manuscripts. And they looked for manuscripts where the date was included in the manuscript. And what do I mean by that? The scribe would, would finish writing, and he would say, this was completed, uh, completed on the fifth day of Tevet, uh, the year uh, 5200, right? Which is 5200 according to the rabbinical calendar. Uh, right now, we're in the year 5781 in the rabbinical calendar. Uh, they say that's Anno Munde from creation. Michael has a different reckoning. Myself, I don't know exactly. I say give or take 250 years. Right, it's approximately right. Um, so they traveled around, they documented all the, the manuscripts in the world, Bible and non-Bible, to see uh, what the date was and what the script looked like. And that's the science of paleography. Uh, it's not an exact science, though. And then to make matters worse, they said, well, we can't look at all the manuscripts in the world. They're still making Torah scrolls. We'll never be done. And they said, we're going to look only up until the year 1540. Why 1540? 
because that was the Hebrew year 5,300. So it was the beginning of a new Hebrew century. Mm -hmm. And it was also about 100 years after the printing press was introduced into Europe and became widespread. Uh, after the, you know, the Gutenberg Bible was rough, roughly 1450, this is 100 years later, it's a new Hebrew century. Anything after 1540, we just don't have time to do it. Right? There's too many, too many, in our lifetime, we can't fig, finish what we're doing if we don't uh, put a deadline, uh, like an end date. So how do you date scrolls after 1540? Good luck with that. Mm -hmm. It's not easy. So I sent photos of this scroll to uh, one of the top experts in the world, and he said that, you know, again, he told me what I know, that it's very difficult to date scrolls. <laughs> scrolls in general have another problem, and the problem they have is that um, by its nature, a scroll is archaic, mm -hmm. right? I mean, it's a handwritten scroll in the 21st century, right? And they're still making them today, right? So you're using a technology that ceased, to, really with the printing press, more or less ceased. Um, and scroll, and that's books at all handwritten, um, scrolls ceased really in like the eighth century, outside the Jewish world, scrolls, uh, other than the British uh, uh, parliament, which actually produces scrolls, scrolls are extremely rare in the world today um, and have been for the last thousand years. So, uh, right there, I mean, here's a special case of having a scroll, which is a Torah scroll. So he said, with all that said, this appears to me to be a scroll from Yemen, and, uh, and it's a scroll from either the end of the 19th or the beginning of the 20th century. Mm -hmm. And of course, we were hoping he would say, it's a thousand-year-old scroll <laughs> written in the land of Israel by Aaron Ben-Asher himself. <laughs> okay, it's a late, 20th, uh, late 19th, early 20th century scroll mm -hmm. written in Yemen. Now, um, that makes it a very special scroll in and of itself. Oh. Because the Jews of Yemen... Uh, are, you know, you had Jews all over the world. They were scattered in the diaspora. And the J Jews of Yemen have an incredible story. And this scroll has an incredible story of how it got to Israel, uh, where Keith purchased it, where he got a hold of it. Um, now, I don't know this specific one because I didn't have a GPS track tracker on it. But scrolls of this sort, this is how they got to Israel. Mm -hmm. So you had Jews in Yemen, and Yemen uh, is part of the Arabian Peninsula. And the people who ruled there for last 1,400 years were Muslims. And we have this narrative we've been told that Jews suffered horribly in Christian countries, but in Muslim countries, they had it pretty good. That's the myth that we've been told. And there is some truth to that. What, but but if, if, if we're really honest, Jews living in Christian countries were, um, think about African-Americans living in the South before the Civil War. Mm -hmm. Were things good? Uh, no. <laughs> uh, compare that to uh, African Americans living in the South after the Civil War, before the uh, before the Civil Rights Movement. Right? Things were better, mm -hmm. but they weren't good. Mm -hmm. And that's what it was like for Jews living in Muslim countries. It was like um, it was like African Americans or Black folks in the um, in the South after the Civil War, before the Civil Rights Movement, and. Um, Yemen was an exception. The Jews in Yemen had it worse than any other Jews, maybe even than most Jews in Christian countries. Yemen, they were fanatical Muslims. And for example, in the 17th century, they banished all the Yemenite Jews to this one area for a period of a year. And somewhere between two thirds and three quarters of the Yemenite Jews died in a period of a year. Mm. That was the Yemenite Holocaust. 
That's what it was like for Jews in Yemen. Uh, there was a period where they were forcibly being converted to Islam and they held tightly onto their faith and many of them were martyred. Many of them died. Maimonides writes about this in the 12th century. And uh, in Yemen, they never had a printing press. Not, the Jews didn't have a printing press. And they were living in the Middle Ages. And I mean, up until 1950, they were living in the Middle Ages, which is like, what do you mean? The Middle Ages ended with the Renaissance, or maybe you could say ended you know, with the emancipation of the Jews in Europe in the 1780s, 1800, right? Depending on how you uh, date the, the, um, in different areas of Europe, in different areas of the world, the Middle Ages. But the Jews in Yemen, their Middle Ages ended in 1950. Mm-hmm. And what happened in 1950 is the State of Israel was founded in 1948. And then somebody... After the war ended, there was a war of independence that lasted about a year into 1949. And then somebody said, well, what about the Jews of Yemen? They've been praying for 2,000 years, yearning to come back to the land of Israel. And we should go get them. And they put together this operation and it involved sending uh, uh, members of the Jewish agency out into the countryside of Yemen. They were 80% of the Jews in Yemen lived in these small little villages they, they, they were li- essentially living, it wasn't the Stone Age, it was essentially the Iron Age, right? I mean, they were, when they came to Israel finally, there were people whose job it was to carry water on their back. And if you were in the marketplace, they would pour a cup of water for you that they had pulled out of the well because there was no running water and sell you a glass of water. It's kind of Isaiah mm-hmm. uh, 55 where he says, you know, ho, those you know, come for water to drink, right? So people still had that job in the 20th century in Yemen. And so the, Jew, the Jewish agency sends people to Yemen and they scatter among the, the Jews of Yemen and they tell them the prayer, the thing you've been praying about for 2,000 years, it's time. Mm. And they said, well, what do you mean? This is this... It's a prayer every year at the end of the Passover Seder. Next year in Jerusalem, you're telling us hmm. it's not next year, it's, it's this year. It's now. They said, we need you to come to the airfield in this big city and we're going to fly you there. They said, you're fl- what? They said, you know the story about the magic carpets? We're going to take you on a magic carpet. We're going to fly you to Israel. I get emotional about this because they couldn't just tell what an airplane was. And it was called Operation Magic Carpet. And they airlifted mm. most of the Yemenite Jews, brought them to Israel. And when they left, they said, look, you don't have time. There's no time to pack. Don't take that big thing you carry on your back for the water. You won't need that, right? Your camel, you're not going to need the camel. Well, what can we take? Take your most valuable possessions. Mm. And what did they take? They took their manuscripts, they took their Torah scrolls. They mm. took their um, sacred um, artifacts mm. and their clothes. They said, you can get new clothes in Israel. And they took their most precious things and they brought them to Israel. And this was probably used in a synagogue for decades. Mm-hmm. And at some point, because it's rolled back and forth, that process is an abrasive process, right? When you roll the scroll, you're, you're doing a little bit of tiny damage to the, to the, to the letters. That's how it's different from a book. In a book, I can flip the pages and do no damage. Right. Whereas, now I'd maybe do damage to the spine, right? But I'm not doing damage to the ink. Whereas this handwritten document, the Torah scroll, you're damaging the ink and you can do it, and it depends who you ask, something like 200 years, depending on how the ink is prepared, mm-hmm. right? Um, and each, each year, you're rolling it back and forth twice. So this was probably used for decades in a synagogue. And at a certain point, somebody realized, okay, the ink has faded, there's some water damage, 
There's all kinds of other problems. We can't use this anymore. And they put it in the back room of the synagogue, which is called the Geniza. And somehow it got from that Geniza into Keith's hand. Mm -hmm. And probably what happened is somebody mm -hmm. said, hey, um, and, and I asked this question 15, uh, 16 years ago. Um, I um, asked one of the top experts in the world on Torah scrolls. I said, um, I said to him, you know, I've seen that there's people, and this is a few years after Keith bought his scroll. Mm -hmm. I said, I see there, there are folks who are um, buying these Torah scrolls. Uh, have you ever heard of something like that where they're taken out of the Geniza and given to people? And he said, yeah, it happens all the time. They, they give them to little children to carry around on Simchat Torah. Mm -hmm. uh, and, you know, at the time you could have gotten it for 150 shekel. Mm -hmm. uh, <laughs> and, um, but if you're not Jewish, well, then it costs a little bit more than 150 shekel. Mm -hmm. He's never told me what he paid, but I guarantee it was more than 150 shekel. And, um, and the price has gone up in any event. So here he has a Torah scroll that's anywhere between 100 and 150 years old mm -hmm. that originally came from Yemen that was brought by these Jews who just lived in, in, in just horrific conditions. Mm -hmm. And when they were told they could come to Israel, they rushed. Mm -hmm. they, there was no ifs, ands, or buts. They left the place they've been exiled to for um, thousands of years. Mm. So I'm listening to Hemi tell this story mm. and, and I'm inspired. I'm inspired because what we find in the scroll, if we keep unrolling it, mm -hmm. seven or eight things that Hemi has never seen. I don't want to tease the people. Mm. Uh, what I really would love to do, Scott, is to sit and unroll the scroll with Michael one day. Ah. That's what I'd really love to do. But there are a couple scrolls here and this guy's an expert. Now, what I think should happen, I'm just going to give you my opinion. I want to wait for Michael. I think we ought to do a special where he, from scratch, unrolls those scrolls and finds out what's in there. Well, we could do those, but this has things those scrolls don't and vice versa. How do you know? How do you know? Uh, I've already looked at them. Uh, I haven't looked at... I, I <laughs> have what you're talking to, Keith. <laughs> well, I, have, I haven't looked at the whole thing, yeah. but I've looked at enough of the scrolls to see this mm. is characteristics you won't find in those scrolls and vice versa. And I feel like we promised the people we'd show it to them. Would you be willing to come back, Keith, for one and more Shabbat Night Live? Let's do another Shabbat Night Live. Let's do it. Okay. Are we serious? Are we going to do another one? Let's do another one. <laughs> we'll do another All Shabbat right. Night Live and we'll share. Because well, actually, open the scroll. We'll open it even and, more. And what I'd really oh, yeah. like to do is I have here a device. Oh, you're going to bring out this the device. The microscope where oh, I could show them things okay, well, we that you can't to. see with the naked eye. No, no, he's got it with him. Okay. Okay, well, we're going to have another one. to come back. All right. So next week on Shabbat Night Live? Sure, why not? Will you join us too? We want you to come back, okay? Join myself, Nehemia Gordon, and Keith Johnson, we're going to open up the scroll. We're going to use the devices that uh, Nehemiah has brought. Wow. This is going to be amazing. I don't even know what they're going to show us. I honestly don't know what they're going to show us. <laughs> so we'll just have to tease it and say, you come back. I'm going to come back. We'll figure out what's going to happen, and uh, we'll see you then. Until then, Shavuot Tov. Have a good week. Mm -hmm.